rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity We're here again today with Renee Brown, our Director of Counseling Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas, and Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, our Pastoral Care Coordinator for the Diocese of Austin's Restorative Justice Ministry in the Gatesville region. Myself, Father Harry Dean, also in service to Restorative Justice, and we're continuing on in our series about managing our anger. I want to ask God to help us first as we get into our topics for today— Father in heaven, the day draws near when the glory of your Son will make radiant the night of the waiting world. May the lure of greed not impede us from the joy which moves the hearts of those who seek him. May the darkness not blind us to the visions of wisdom which fills the minds of those who find him. Amen. So, first of all, as we're looking for truth as it comes from God— One of the things we have to be able to identify are those things that are not of truth. And those would be, in this case, some myths about anger. And Renee is going to give us a little bit on myths about anger. So I took this information from the um, anger management. uh, It's a workbook that's produced by uh, SAMHSA, which stands for Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Um, They have a just a plethora of good information out there. And so in putting some of these segments together, I found these myths very interesting and very helpful, I think. So one of the big misconceptions about anger is that anger is inherited. You know, I'm an angry person. I inherited this from my mom or I inherited this from my dad or everybody in my family is angry. So I inherited this. That That's, um, that's a false belief. Because anger cannot be inherited, Um, people are born with um, a set specific ways of expressing anger. And if you're if you're doing things like throwing things and yelling and screaming and cussing, that's learned behavior. That's not inherited. So there's a difference between something being inherited. Like I inherited blue eyes from my dad. But if I learn to throw things and scream and yell, that's a learned behavior from watching somebody else do those things. Another myth is that anger automatically leads to aggression. That's a misconception. That is a myth. Um, And primarily because effective, uh, if you know effective anger management tools, then you will know how to control and de-escalate yourself and use self-talk or or other skills like what Deacon Ronnie is presenting. You're going to use those skills to, you know, better control your anger. So anger doesn't automatically lead to aggression. Aggression is a choice. Um, Another myth is that um, you must be aggressive to get what you want. I, I hear this quite a bit uh, in working with clients. Well, I had to be aggressive to get what I want. Well, no, you don't. And there's a difference between aggression and assertive. Assertive just means I'm staying what, saying what I need. Um, I'm presenting that in a reasonable, uh, controlled, regulated way. But aggression is completely different. Usually the goal of, of aggression is to dominate, intimidate, maybe harm or injure another person. The goal is to win at any cost. That is aggression. Um, expressing yourself in an assertive manner um, is in no way threatening. It should not be about blaming. 
you're not trying to emotionally harm anyone. You're just trying to get your needs met. And so it, there's a huge difference between the uh, being aggressive and being assertive. And then another one that I found very interesting is venting anger is always desirable. I think there's a huge difference in if you're talking to a friend and, and, and we use that term venting. You know, I just had to tell my friend what was going on. This is what I was angry about. It's the way in which um, sometimes we display anger. So for many years in therapy, and I know when I first started uh, in therapy, this was something that we did, you know, telling people to express their anger through maybe punching pillows or, or throwing. I can remember I had a client that threw clay pots um, when she was angry. She would just go buy a bunch of clay pots and throw them, you know, or screaming. All these things were considered healthy and therapeutic. But what research is finding now is that um, it just kind of acerbates that aggression inside of you. It's not really helping. It just kind of reinforces some of those aggressive uh, tendencies. So, Deacon Ronnie, as we hear those given to us about myths about anger, something perhaps in the same neighborhood is that anger is my identity. I'm known as the angry guy. I'm known as the angry inmate. I'm known as the angry person. Is that who we are? No, we're not. And one of the things I would uh, offer to us is that we take the— good choice to look at uh, finding a prospective solution to uh, to being identified as that person in our past and so how do we move forward from that. One of the things that we can do is now use the, um, imagine yourself on top of a mountain looking on a, on a, standing on a tower and you look around you. And so you have this panoramic view of, of, of the trees that make up the forest uh, you can look down and you can see the, the river winding through the land. Uh, you see a small town in the distance and, and so forth. Now take a sheet of paper and roll it up into a tube and now cover your right eye and look through your left or vice versa. And what do you see? You've narrowed up your vision to just this very tiny opening. And so you've, you've, you the town's still there, the river's still there, all of that is still part of the landscape, but your focus now has narrowed to do it just to one specific thing. Parasitic anger is going to draw you to that one specific thing. And so the thing we have to break out of is is that we have to see that the tunnel vision of anger is, is uh, functional there in our lives, and we need to be able to to broaden our beliefs, we need to be able to broaden our practices. We be able to see that uh, that parasitic anger presents a different picture than reality. So that's the first step, I think, is is our perspective solution. And how do we do that? Um, one of the things that we we have to be able to say is, first of all, I think a lot of times we practice overgeneralization that. Um, and for instance, if, if things are, we're in traffic, um, we have these horrible um, thoughts or perhaps beliefs that uh, for all women are bad drivers or, or you may see men are slobs or you fill in the blank on that, but, uh, but you are a uh, what? And those are 
those can be parasitic in the sense that what we're describing is the person and, and, and oftentimes our person, our identity of the person is inaccurate, but we, what we have to uh, resolve to is not to focus on the person, but the action of that person. That's very important that we're not identifying to the person, but we're identifying the action of that person. Which, which is a healthy perspective of, of now moving towards a solution to whatever we are that, that we're having to deal with. So, um, again, we go back to the sequence that we spoke about last time. It's the event. Uh, we look at the, the belief about the event. Um, we would employ um, inquiring questions. Um, and then we would have some type of, of, of outcome scenario that we could uh, uh, identify as being a solution to, to whatever it is that we're having to deal with. So I think the view from the top is very, very important. Um, the advantage, um, for instance, uh, in looking at the advantage of parasitic anger thinking, we'll think, well, can you, uh, you get immediate relief. We were talking about that a little bit last session about uh, venting or striking out impulsively. Well, you, that's, that's immediate. That's true. But the advantages of challenging that way of thinking is that uh, you've, you've got, you broaden and you maintain your realistic perspective using uh, enlightened choices. That's, again, so you're avoiding acting impulsively and possibly destructively in that situation. Uh, you're also widening your perspectives and putting realistic uh, priorities uh, about the matter that's in motion. Uh, another advantage of parasitic anger, this is again, this isn't helpful or it's not certainly not healthy, but there's no meaningful long-term advantage other than short-term special rewards that repeat themselves. And that's that cyclical anger that we've spoken about earlier. We just the, the pattern doesn't break, we don't break out of it. We just continue to repeat it over and over again. It's very predictable. It's going to happen. That's how he's going to respond. She's fixing the blow up and here it comes. But when we move ourselves away from that and we challenge that way of thinking, then you begin to sense this command over yourself when facing undesirable conditions. It's very important that you see that. You're growing your ability to restrict and restrain this parasitic thinking. That's the act of your will. It's not controlling you. You're controlling it. And, that, and then there's a greater freedom to constructively express natural anger towards unfair situations and to do so proportionately. So, in, so you've increased the probability of avoiding prolonged periods of thinking negatively, catastrophizing or uh, other unwanted effects, such as hammering away at, 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 at um, my body with uh, stress hormone surges and so forth. So what I'm hearing you say there and, and I really like that one part where you said, you know, this is this is where I'm at. It's cyclical. Um, uh, maybe people look at me and see I'm predictable. And so they're going to identify me as angry. But you followed that, Deacon Ronnie, with and yet you can experience through this work a management of the anger that you haven't experienced before. And, and that you, you let that 
take root. You let that become a new belief about yourself that anger isn't ruling me. Anger is not my personal identity. I have a will here, as you mentioned earlier. I can exert it. And through this work, I can begin to, by layers and degrees, have a sense of of being able to refashion and and see myself in a new and and different way. Absolutely. And when you do it, you're, you're, giving yourself permission to go into an area that's not not normal, or at least that's not your past practices, so it's going to feel uncomfortable. But when you do the good work and you work through those outcomes, not only do you change, you, you look back at your own experience of that and go, oh my goodness, this is so much better than, than what I used to do, but you also see the effect that it has on the people around you. So that they're not in a tense state because they sense what's fixing to come towards them. But now there's a peace and there's a calm. And that person that whoever you may have had a potential conflict that was brewing with, uh, they leave a different person also. So everybody wins in that particular situation. One of the things I would suggest to our listeners, if you are someone who is taking in everything that Renee and Deacon Ronnie are talking about and that we'll continue to talk about on today's program, and you're saying to yourself, this sounds good, I really would like to make this change, um, I, I hear a lot of the things that they're saying, how do I get started, um, watch uh, in your Catholic life for the change of liturgical seasons, When we move from one to another, ordinary time to Advent, Advent to Christmas, Lent to to Easter, and in each of those changes, as the church shifts her spiritual view to concentrate on one aspect of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you do the same, and you let that new liturgical season with its distinct scripture readings, songs, the messages of the homilies— Uh, the different spiritual devotion books that are dedicated to each one of those seasons surround you with what the church is speaking about that aspect of the life of Christ, and then take that and say, as we have shifted from one focus on his life, death, and resurrection, I'm going to shift my focus as well away from no longer accepting my anger to I'm going to do this work that's going to help to set me free. And in that way, I can use what the church surrounds me with, with her prayer, public liturgy, private prayer, scriptures, uh, the whole bit. And that can be in service to me letting myself have permission, as Deacon Ronnie says, to take this thing on. I wanted to ask you, Renee, and you know, in as much as anybody picks up on that and says, yeah, I'm going to do that. Well, what else do we give them to, to help them continue on and if they start to do this work? Um, you know, one of the uh, I love what Deacon Ronnie's been uh, talking about, because so much of that is it's cognitive restructuring. Right. So so much of this is about changing the way that we think about things. We fall into so many uh traps, you know, where we catastrophize things or we um, become demanding. Um, I was kind of looking over a little a document that I have here, and one of my favorites is the inflammatory thinking. You know, we become accustomed to thinking uh, certain, we have certain beliefs or certain thoughts about people, right? So we'll say, oh, that person's a jerk, or they're, you know, um, 
there's all uh, they're a creep, they're a bitch, whatever, right? And so then that sticks with us. And so we tend to use that over and over and and it just kind of triggers our anger. And so if we can step back and move away from some of that inflammatory thinking that can be so helpful or the overgeneralizations that that Deacon Ronnie mentioned, um, we tend to overgeneralize things. We get into that polarized thinking where we can't see that there's gray areas. You know, often we kind of identify maybe they're weak or they're strong and and we just kind of give all these little, we put people in boxes or we put situations in boxes and we make everything very polarized instead of looking for those gray areas. I would also encourage people to, because, and maybe this is just the counselor in me, but um, I, I just feel like, um, a really helpful tool for most people is to go back and look at like how did your how did you learn about how anger was handled? Look back at that family, and this is not to say that parents are, are bad people. We do the best that we can do. There's no rule book. There's no handbook on on good parenting, right? And we're just most parents are just trying to get through the best they can. But go back and look at well, how did my mom? you know, handle anger? How did my dad handle anger? What did I learn from them? What what didn't what didn't feel good to me? What did I see that kind of bothered me? And then you want to start changing, you know, some of your behaviors. Um, I encourage people to write stuff down just because I think writing is so great. I've talked about that in, in other segments, but just write down, dad, you know, anger. What did he do? Did he yell, scream, throw things? Maybe in my family, my mom was the person that yelled a lot. You know, when she was frustrated, you knew you were getting yelled at. And so just kind of understanding where some of your, uh, not just your triggers for anger, but how did the people around you handle their anger and how much of what you're doing is like them? Thus, it's a learned behavior. And anything that you've learned, you can unlearn. And that is so real when that's the example that you've had from mother or father or maybe older brother or sister who were in effect your mother or your father. You don't realize it. It's what you start picking up on. And then as you grow up and move forward, you find yourself calling on those methods that they use that that were utilizing anger in, in inappropriate ways. And it's amazing how strong that can be in us where you say to yourself, mm-hmm. wow, you know, I just I never realized that this is my default position. And as a result of that, since there isn't anything else for me to choose from, this is all I've got, but I don't have to keep it. As you're just getting through saying, Renee, that was the practice of someone who modeled it for mm-hmm. me and I can model something different. You know, I would encourage people, and this was just from my own work that I did, but when you're really looking at your anger and you're wanting to, we've done that anger iceberg before, right? And so we know there's all this stuff underneath anger. You know, I've mentioned it in the last segment. So it's hurt, pain, trauma, isolation, being ignored, overlooked, you're overwhelmed, you're frustrated, right? And this stuff can go back, you know, throughout your lifespan. You've had all these experiences And so I'm always encouraging people to, you know, explore those primary feelings under anger. But when you're first doing this work, and this was just helpful for me, when it becomes a little overwhelming dealing with all those feelings, give it to God. 
put it at the foot of the cross, literally, because sometimes in in the in the fo- first you know moments or or months in doing some of this work and looking at those feelings, it's hard. It hurts to go back and look at things, or there's fears, and you may not trust that you can talk to somebody around you about these things because we never know in certain situation who we can trust, maybe and who we can't, especially if you're in an in a incarceration situation, I might not know if I can trust my cellmate or this person or that person. So I may not be as eager to share some of these things that I'm experiencing, all this stuff under my anger, but you can give that to God and leave it there and give it to him, put it there, let it sit there. And then you can go back and revisit another day so that you can work through that. So much of my work when I was kind of doing my healing work, it was. It was to give it to God and leave it with him. And then I could go back and revisit it again. And so God can be that, that, that person in your life that you can give these things to, that you can talk through these things with if you don't feel like there's somebody around you that can give you the good support. And when we fail to do the good work that you just mentioned, Renee, then we uh, kind of uh, remove ourselves from reality. I think that um, elusive state called reality in, in our, if I'm not doing the good, um, accurate examination of what's, what is actually ahead of, in front of me, um, then um, you're not going to be able to, to quell the needless anger. Uh, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to reduce the problem to its essential. Uh, you're not going to be able to develop reasonable perspectives based on facts, reason, and knowledge that, that can extend to some effective action um, that's being required of you. So I think that, again, the, the doing the good work of removing the subjectivity from whatever you're you're working with to an objective position or approach is, is the first, pro, first uh, thing that we have to do. Second, um, I would say that that's going to um, lead to a, a confident composure to your state of mind. Um, when you feel in charge of yourself and the controllable events around you, that's probably a different way than you felt before. Uh, this confidence composure, you can recognize that you can directly command only yourself and you choose to do so. So I'm not allowing the situation again to control me. I'm controlling it. And, the, and, and you don't demand that the world change for you. Uh, that's, in, uh, that's unrealistic. But you take life and the situations as they are. And you drive your actions with productive intentions. So um, you gain confidence when you do that. Your composure skills will definitely be sharpened. You'll have less... Uh, um, um, you, by recognizing and diffusing this mis- misguiding anger thinking... Uh, you'll be less likely to uh, waste your time, if you will, with these um, these these needless and and unnecessary distractions. And then the last thing I just mentioned is that you can apply your talents and learn new ways to combat these parasitic angers. Um, that, that's going to move you into a new a new direction of just being, and that your 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 sense of of you now are more engaging with with life as as it is. And, and not as you um, incorrectly or falsely see it. So let me ask the both of you this one. Thinking in terms of you're wanting someone to sooner than later 
in the process of, of dealing these things. They're listening to what y'all are saying. They're starting to put into practice a lot of the things that you've been mentioning. What among the many might provide someone an easier gain to get a sense of that I'm starting to get control over my anger in like I've never done before. i give you an analogy. It's like a lot of these rookie quarterbacks that are playing in the National Football League this season. And what do they always say the coaches do? They draw up plays to their strengths so that they can complete those plays and gain confidence sooner than later. What among all these different techniques might be among the ones that we would say, do these first and you have a higher probability of experiencing a gain and and finding that sense of confidence? Or is it so different individual to individual that there's really not going to be one of those? out there that, that you would recommend? What's, in other words, what's, a, what's an easy first uh, aha that I can get? I can actually do this thing. Yeah, I would, I would recommend some very basic things. Um, I think Renee mentioning to, to, to give it to God, um, that's always one that I always recommend first. Uh, take a deep breath uh, and just and draw upon the the power of Jesus's most holy name. Just say his name. Jesus, I trust in you, Jesus. I need you something to uh, collect yourself. Uh, the deep breathing um, is associated with a with a, a biological measure for relaxation, uh, it, positive moods and less stress. So uh, deep breathing doesn't solve problems, but the process sets the stage for clearer thinking. And you can serve to distance yourself from from whatever it is that that you're having to do with. So I think that breathing, one very simple, uh, and and then we may uh, in our future episodes uh, talk about some of the the practices of deep breathing, um, how it works, uh, when to do it, when not to do it, and and so forth. But uh, I think that one is is a very just take a pause. Take a pause and don't mm-hmm. don't be hooked. Don't be drawn into the situation. Just step back and take a look at it. Absolutely. You know, this this work is hard. You know, I think that's the first thing. Like it's hard. And when count, I tell my clients this all the time, counselors make everything sound easy, right? Because we have so much information. We have so many activities. But the reality is this is hard stuff. And so what I always encourage people to is when you're doing this work, don't feel like this has to be like a 24-7 job. Because it's hard and you're looking at so many different things. You're, you're looking at your thinking. You're looking at maybe some uh, family practices. And, and that can take you to a totally different you know, place. You're also looking at your thinking. There's so many areas that you're working on that sometimes even the work can feel overwhelming. And so with Deacon Ronnie, you know, talking about, you know, uh, giving things over to God in prayer and doing your deep breathing, um, you know, that time for exercise. This is also, to me, this is also about infusing self-care. Um, because anger, like we've talked about, it's not just this singular thing. There's so much underneath anger. There's so many pieces of it. It's like a huge puzzle of a person, right? And so in that, there needs to be this time for um Self-care. And so I think one of the things that often I miss uh, just in working with my clients is to encourage them to have fun, you know, and that can be maybe a little more challenging if you're incarcerated, you know, to, to have maybe some fun. But, you know, if you're able to, 
you know, play some play cards or, you know, just have some, you know, if you're able to listen to music or if you've got some pals that'll, you know, sing with you or do some raps or whatever. But I think just that ability to incorporate some fun and not get so, so stuck in this, just inundated with it all day, every day can be very helpful, too. As far as like a place where everybody can start, um, I guess just from kind of doing this work, I don't have a one size fits all kind of thinking um, I usually, when I work with clients, it's more like I get in and kind of know them and see maybe where we need to kind of go first. You know, is it looking at all the emotions underneath, maybe from a, a parent piece? Um, is it something else that we want to look at? Maybe there was some other trauma that somebody experienced. So I don't know that there's always a one size fits all in where you start. I think the important thing is just to start, just start working on it. And then while you're doing this work, you know, take good care of yourself along the way. And I think realize, too, because I've done some therapeutic uh, work myself personally, that the the uh, peeling back the layers of the onion image is what a lot of therapists use. Mm-hmm. And for those of us, while we're in treatment, you get a layer peeled back, you experience the growth and the healthfulness and the strengthening. And you kind of want to say, that's good. Let's just stop right there. And then the therapist says, no, there are many other layers for us to go through. And you kind of look at the ceiling and go, uh, there are many other layers, aren't there? But just try and celebrate each layer. Uh, give that to God. Give the, the, the success to God as well. Um, and um, just know that the Lord is there to uh, be with you in your successes, no matter how small and, and, and incremental. Let's offer him a prayer. Rise up, Lord, in defense of your people. Do not hide your face from our troubles. Father of orphans, wealth of the poor, we rejoice in making you known. May we find comfort and security in times of pain and anxiety. Amen.